Okay, I started a message series on the Lord's comprehensive evaluation of the state of the church, and um, this will be the last one uh, that I'm preaching on this uh, series, and today we're going to be looking at several passages, but I do want you to start out turning to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, and uh, I'm going to eventually get back to Revelation but I'm looking at this morning about the blessings of those who overcome. In other words, the perseverance of the saints. That once a person comes to genuinely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will continue to follow the Lord the rest of their lives. Many factors come into that. So the point I ended with last time was despite this unparalleled spiritual opposition that I mentioned in the last message, all the believers will be kept secure by God and will persevere to the end. That God will persevere or preserve all those who have been saved by his grace and will transport them safely to heaven. In other words, the elect will be divinely enabled to overcome and will persevere. 1 John 5 says, Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is really emphasized repeatedly in Revelation often referred to as overcomers, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. That word is used often in Revelation. And so this morning, I want to kind of take a detour, then come back to the Revelation passages uh, but first, I want to define what perseverance is. Perseverance is the doctrine, the teaching, which says that those who are the elect, because they have been the object of God's eternal decree of election, and because they have been the object of Christ's atonement, shall continue in the way of salvation as the same power of God that saved them will also keep and sanctify them until their final salvation. Now, if you're there in Revelation, in Revelation 14, verse 12 and 13, 10, the Bible actually, the phrase perseverance of the saints actually is lifted from two passages of Scripture in Revelation, where it says, here is perseverance of the saints who keeps the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So this phrase gives the strong impression that God's saving purpose cannot be frustrated, that none of Christ's true sheep will ever be lost, and I emphasize the word true sheep that though the elect may for a time fall into sin, even sometimes radical sin, such as Peter's denial of Christ, 
God restores them into fellowship with himself and assures their eternal salvation. So this salvation involves the work of the Trinity. All those who are chosen by God the Father are then redeemed by Christ the Son and then are given faith by the Holy Spirit. Those are the ones who are eternally saved. They are kept in faith by the power of Almighty God and thus persevere to the end. They persevere in faith and he preserves them. Just like it says in Romans 8, those he called, at the end of Romans 8.30, it says, those whom he justified, he will also, what? Glorify. So that, that unchain, that broken, unbroken chain of theology, where what God starts, he finishes it. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray as we look at this particular subject that you would impress upon our hearts by the word of God where we each stand with you. And we thank you, Lord, that our salvation in Christ is not a fickle thing. It's not that I have it one day and lose it the next. That what you start, you finish, and that what you do, you do completely. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest our salvation, not on ourselves, but on you. Because you are faithful to your, your children, to your sheep, and that you will accomplish everything that you say in the word of God in behalf of your sheep and the glory of your name. And so we thank you for that. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you remember your past science classes that you learned about the law of inertia. The law teaches that objects at rest tend to stay at rest until acted upon by outside force. And objects that are in motion tend to stay in motion until acted upon by an outside force. Now, just by way of illustration, before conversion, you were in a sense at rest, dead in your sin. And the gospel came. And the power of God unto salvation quickened you and made you alive. You were no longer dead and set you in motion onto the narrow path of eternal salvation. So in the natural world, not only God has not only created the universe, but he also upholds it. If he should withdraw his power for even one second, the universe would go crashing back into non-existence. See, God creates and sustains the universe. The same is true of our spiritual life. God not only recreates us in Christ and by his spirit, but he keeps us alive spiritually every single moment of every single day. And we know that because the Lord intercedes for us every moment of every day, so he keeps us if he should withdraw his Holy Spirit from us for even a single moment, we would instantly crash back into our natural depraved natures. Thank the Lord that he does not allow that to happen to those who are truly his sheep. So this morning I would like to 
really ex- examine this topic from a looking at it from a verbal professions level and then at a heart transformation level. I want to start for, first of all looking at it from a verbal profession level. That in other words, all this profession level of things may seem uh, the same. The responses of faith may look the same for those who really believe and for those who profess falsely, at least in the beginning. We all know someone who at one time was genuinely, deeply convicted of their sin, at least seemed to be, and who earnestly was burdened in some way in their conscience and eventually professed the gospel. They put their faith in Christ and seemed to rest their souls there. And their professions seemed right and bright. They came to church. They would engage in prayer. They lifted up their voices along with the saints in worship, a worship service. And yet they are no longer amongst us. They faded out. They went back to their old lifestyle and have no desire for the things of God anymore. However, the doctrines of of perseverance does not rule out backsliding by a believer. The doctrine says that a true believer will not remain there endlessly in their backslidden condition. If he does, he had better or she had better put a big question mark beside their profession of faith. Many of God's saints have backslidden, and not one of them has ever apostatized, left completely. Some people who fell into sin, but not from grace of genuine salvation. David's fall was not total, for God's Spirit remained with him, and in Psalm 51 it gives us really his confession of God coming back to him, him running to God with his sin, his, he, him receiving that washing away of his guilt and sin and God restoring him. Neither was Peter, the apostle Peter, for his faith did not fail him either, for Christ prayed for him, even though Satan desired to sift him like wheat, the Lord prayed on behalf and he did not finally lose or fail. So the sinful falls of the saints are not recorded in Scripture for our imitation, but for our warning to take heed to ourselves, to watch against, and of course to resist any temptation to go back to the old way of life, to go back to our old idolatrous and religious systems, but to continue to walk with the Lord. Even when we read the parable of the sower, We find that somebody hears the word, they respond even with joy, and then some fall away because of troubles and persecutions, usually because of the word of God. Some, it says in Corinthians, react with just worldly sorrow and not in true repentance and faith, and therefore are not genuinely saved. The book of Hebrews talks about dimensions of enlightenment. 
where people receive full knowledge of theology and how to be made right with God, and yet these Hebrews did not want to let go of Judaism uh, and, and come all the way over and believe completely that Jesus was the Messiah and he was the one who died in their place and he is the one who can give eternal salvation. So had, they had dimensions of enlightenment and truth and yet did not go all the way and believe. Jesus even warned that somebody can put on a ministerial show but lack the true gospel of repentance and faith in Christ leading to holiness as it says in Matthew 7, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So, some, so in other words, some people can actually think they're believers because they made a profession of faith and truly are not believers and are self-deceived. So it is not in the initial profession, but it is in the underpinning of truth, which is the continuing preservation of God for his saints. Now, here are some Old and New Testament passages which teach that God perseveres his people. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 37 and verse number 28. And notice what it says in Psalm 37, 28. It says, For the Lord loves justice, and does not forsake his godly ones, they are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. And then in Psalm 121, verse 7 and 8, he kind of does the same thing. And he says there, I, he will not allow your foot to slip, he who keeps you will not slumber. And then to verse 7 and 8, the Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And then if we go to the New Testament, we find other passages of Scripture that are, that are in the same vein, that say the same things in different ways, like 2 Timothy 4 in verse number 18, listen to what it says. It says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his eternal, his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And remember, these were idolaters, uh, pagan idolaters, and this is what... Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church and said to them and wanted them to know very sure about what was going on there. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. So in other words, God's faithfulness began our salvation by calling us. And his faithfulness guarantees the ultimate completion of our salvation. Other passages 
says this in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And then one other passage before we turn over to uh, John chapter 10 is Jude chapter 1, verse 1 and then verse 24, where it says in that passage of Scripture, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ and down to verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in his presence, in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. So all those passages impress upon those who are truly believers that are truly God's sheep that, listen, your salvation never depended on you. It doesn't even depend on you now in keeping yourself saved, even though we are to cooperate with the Spirit of God in our sanctification. Right? It is God who does it from the beginning to the end, where even what God as starts, begins, he finishes, where Philippians 1, 6 tells us, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if you note in that passage, a Christian's confidence resides not in himself, but in God. God can guarantee a believer's preservation. Also, God supplies security to his saints. How can you be sure that, you, that uh, you'll never perish? How can you be sure that you will never be separated from God for all eternity in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire? Well, you can be sure because of what the Word of God says. All right, As long as you are truly a believer, like what it says in Hebrews 9.12, it says, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The ESV says it like this, thus securing eternal redemption. Now, we all live in a society that we're all security conscious, aren't we not? Maybe these days more than any time in history. Uh, we often go to actually great lengths to protect and secure what we have. We want really to keep our most precious things uh, secure as possible. But even then we know that even with our greatest effort to secure our stuff, there still remains the possibility that we can lose it or someone could steal it from us. Now just for your information, 
the protectors of England's priceless crown jewels have gone to great lengths to make sure that they are protected and secured. In fact, a person would need to sneak past 22 highly trained, fully armed guards somehow. And then, if they got past then, they would have to pass undetected through more than 100 security cameras. And even then, if they got that far, the invaluable prize is secured behind bomb-proof glass. No wonder England's crown jewels have remained secure for actually 17 centuries. So each year they've been building on their security. What a security system. However, the Christian is worth much more than England's crown jewels. The Christian salvation is highly protected and securely kept for all of Christ's true sheep for all of eternity, that Christ has earned it for you by paying for it with his precious blood. So then it is eternally secure. No matter what happens, your salvation is secure, and that is for Christ's true sheep. Now, saying that, I want to look at what the Word of God says, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10, because there are three points of security that is given in John chapter 10, which is the parable of the Good Shepherd. And of course, the Good Shepherd being Jesus Christ, he cares for his sheep, he loves his sheep, he's not going to deceive his sheep, he's going to bring his sheep near safe waters and green pastures. And in this passage, in two places, he gives us points of security. The first thing he tells his sheep is that they have eternal security. That's the first point. In John chapter 10, notice in verse number 28, several things there. He says, and I give eternal life to them. So this is eternal security. And this means the life that the life is forever. At this point, we could save once saved, always saved. But that's a dangerous phrase. Because you don't want to give anybody assurance that they're saved. Matter of fact, it's not your job to give anybody assurance. It's the Spirit of God's job to give them assurance. And it's the Word of God that will give them assurance if they continue in it. Right? Because everybody needs to know that they are they have eternal life, and that eternal life is based on what Christ has done. Like it says in 1 John 5.13, These things I've written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know what? You have eternal life. God wants us to know that we have eternal life. He wants us to know from, uh, from the Word of God that that's what he tells us. And so the first point of security for a, a child of God to know is that, listen, you have eternal life. And it's given to you by God. A second point of security is comes out of the nature of the promise that is given to his sheep. In verse number 28, it also says this, I give and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. So in other words, 
the promise from God is that they will never perish. The saints are God's property and that they are sealed and will be guarded right down to the day of redemption and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that they will not be lost. Where do we get that from? We get it from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where it says, In him you also, having listened to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then again he repeats it in in Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed by or for the day of redemption, that the Lord gives us eternal security and then he guarantees that security to his real sheep. And then the third point of security in this passage, from the verse 28 to verse 30, is the, the nature of the united commitment of the Godhead, the commitment to guard... to be guarded by the Godhead. And notice in the end of verse 28 of John 10, it says, And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So in that passage, in those passages, we have double security. So if we... Take what I just said, that if the Spirit of God seals us into the day of redemption, and of course, no one can snatch us from the hand of Jesus, and no one can snatch us from the hand of the Father, then who can snatch us? All right, that's the point. The point is that God has his hand on you. Who can possibly snatch you from him? No one is the answer, of course. And, of course, Paul brings that up in Romans 8 when he says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And he ends by saying, who will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? And, of course, the answer to that is, no one will. Now, that's a real security system. Triple security. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit keeps you until the day we stand before him. Now, you may feel sometimes, I'm not doing so well spiritually. You may feel very weak, in fact, that you will feel weak because of life. But it doesn't mean it's changed God's mind, that it, his true sheep, will he will keep right to the end. Now, I want to switch from just a mere profession, a verbal profession of faith, to now a heart transformation level. And that's the second thing I want you to see this morning. And we'll stay there in John chapter 10, and we'll look at several distinctives that are found amongst God's sheep. Because if you are really a believer, then something's going to happen. The useful nature of this doctrine is found in the consistent perseverance of the saints. Why will a true believer continue in the faith and not turn back 
into a life of habitual sin or back into their own old life? Well, because God has worked in you. Where has he worked? He's worked on your heart. He's worked on your mind. He's worked on your will. What does it say in Philippians 2, verse 12? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? But then it says this, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, God is working in his children. They have the Spirit of God living in them. He is transforming your heart, your mind, your will. And that, if that's true, and it is true, then there's going to be certain distinctives that are particular to the sheep. To those who may pre- profess the Lord, but those particulars aren't there. Those distinctives are not there. Even though they profess the Lord as their Savior, those distinctives are not there. See, the saints will be identified by four distinct facts. And these really reflect the nature of regeneration, which is the new birth is a miracle of grace, affecting a radical change within a person who believes, renewing the the faculties of the soul, giving an entirely different bent to a person's inclinations of the way they think and what they desire and where they are heading and how they want to live their life. God is changing all those things in our life. So the question would be, who are those who overcome? Who are those who persevere? Who are those who continue on in the work and in the, the walking with the Lord, no matter what's going on in their life, they just keep going. They may get knocked down. They may be pulled away a little bit by sin, but then they confess it and repent of it, and they're back on the track again. It may be they, they wandered off the narrow path a little bit, but now they're back, and you wonder why. Well, how the, why are they back? Well, the ones who persevere are the saints and none other than the saints. And how can you recognize these saints? How can you recognize Christ's sheep? Well, look right back there in John chapter 10. The first distinctive of Christ's sheep is found in verse number 26. And it says this, But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now I'm reversing that. Some think they are God's sheep, But Jesus is saying, you're not my sheep, and why aren't you my sheep? Because you haven't believed in me. So the first distinctive of Christ's sheep is that Christ's sheep have real saving faith. Only Christ's sheep have saving faith. So they were commended by God to repent and believe, but, of course, informed that it is not God who repents for them or believes for them. They actually believe. But behind the scene, the Holy Spirit enables the heart to believe. 
and to come to Christ for salvation and eternal life. So when the person comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit's sweet drawing of them, the sinner comes to Christ with full consent without realizing a secret influence had ever been exercised in their heart. Yes, they believe, but all the stuff that has gone behind that, when God is drawing a person, when the Father is drawing, no one can come to the Lord Jesus unless the Father comes, draws them, right? So the Father is drawing them. He's, he's pulling them. He's organizing their life and circumstances to bring them to the place where they see the truth and they come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and Him alone they believe. So when the call comes, the second distinctive of God's sheep becomes evident. And here's the second distinctive in verse 27. It says this, My sheep hear my voice. That's the second second distinctive. You know what they do? They hear the voice of their shepherd. So we have a particular relationship with the word of God. The Lord also said in John 10, 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice also. So whether from the Jews or from the Gentiles, the flock that God's going to bring to themselves, a clear distinctive is once they're saved, and while they're being saved is they hear the voice of the shepherd. They hear for the first time that these, these things hanging on the side of our heads were created to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. We're created to hear that important message on how to be right with God. And to hear Christ's voice means more than being familiar with his words as they are recorded in Scripture, more than believing that they are his words and are true, the Lord is requiring more than simply listening respectfully and believing what he says. The sheep submit themselves unreservedly to his authority. The sheep respond, respond promptly to his orders. In other words, the sheep obey him. They want to obey him. See, they hear, they listen. In fact, the day that you were saved, God opened your spiritual ears and you're still intently listening. What does God? What is God saying? I want to hear exactly what God says and I want to do what he says. But I want you to notice a third distinctive in John 10, 27, and it's this in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Here's a distinctive. It's not so much you know God, but he knows you. That, that, that change, that's a game changer. You realize that, right? God knows you. His eye is upon you. You're in the palm of his hand. In pro he's protecting you. Nobody can snatch you from him. You are his property. You have the seal of the Spirit of God in you, and the only one who could break that seal is God himself. So that means no one could break it. God knows you. 
John 10, 15 says, Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the union and a communion with him becomes deeper and more abiding as we learn to love God and because we know that we love, he loves us. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then John 8.28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to what? To those, to who? To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So you see in all these passages of Scripture, and you see the distinctives come out very clearly that Christ's sheep have saving faith. They hear the voice of their shepherd. They know their shepherd knows them. And then a last thing in verse 27 of John chapter 10, and notice this, and they follow me. They follow me. Who else are we going to follow once we come to know Christ? There is no one else to follow. Once you put your hand to the plow, there's no more looking back. There's no more going back to the old ways, the old life, the old habits, the old sins, the old friends. All things become new. Everything, why? Because God is transforming our heart. He's making us conform to his will. He's changing our mind, giving us the mind of Christ. He's doing all those things, and he's doing it for our benefit, and he's doing it while he leaves us here on this earth. Because all the things we deal with on this earth, we want to display to others the transforming power of Christ in our lives, that we're not the same, we're not what we used to be, we are different. So, in other words, we follow him, and we continue to follow him. As soon as, as, as a sheep hears the voice of their true shepherd, they follow and they obey him. They are not bent anymore on following the flesh or being solicited by Satan or by the ways of the world. They see clearly now on what Christ wants for them in this life. And only those who hear and are known of Christ and who follow him shall never perish. So the promise is to those, those are the ones who will never perish. Only those who bear the distinctive marks can lay claim to eternal security. So somebody can make a profession of faith all day long. Yeah, I believed in Jesus 10 years ago. Well, what do you, what, what, have you been following Christ? Well, I'm, I'm kind of doing my own thing. They just told you that they are not the ones who qualify for eternal life. They are not the ones who are part of the perseverance of the saints. So if you are Christ's sheep, then what evidence do you have to show it? If we were to drag you before a Christian court and you were to prove to us that court, prove to me you're a Christian, what would you bring up? Where is your evidence? Could you walk out of that courtroom confident? 
that you made your case, that you are a truly a believer, because that's the only way assurance is going to come, is that if you're convicted in the Christian court as being a believer. Nowadays, if someone applies for a passport, they require three to six points of identification. They want a birth certificate, a driver's license, a marriage license, a military discharge papers, current phone or utility bill, all qualifies for a certain amount of points. I think it, it's a passport that's the highest amount of points, like four points you get for that. I think it's six points you need. And why do you all need all that? To prove you are who you are. How do I know who you are? So the burden of proof is on you to prove you are who you are. And if you can prove who you are, then you get what you came for. See, God's saints are distinguished from all other people, not only by what he has done for them, but also by what he has worked in them. That transforming change that's come over them as they cooperate with the Spirit of God in their life. So the saints are endowed with a new life and with a spiritual and a supernatural principle or nature which affects their whole soul. So what does the the doctrine of the perseverance of saints teach us? It teaches us that if a person is totally depraved and cannot do anything to help himself spiritually or herself. And if God is absolutely sovereign in the matter of election, choosing the elect on the basis of his will and his will alone, and if Christ's death was for the elect, guaranteeing their salvation, and if God calls the elect irresistibly, then it follows that God will assure the final salvation of these elect, that is, that they will persevere to the final end, and they will enter heaven. Because what God starts, he completely finishes. Now, this brings me full circle to back to Revelation, and I want you to turn there. Because somebody who is in a position where they know that they have eternal life because of what Christ has done, then there are certain promises that are connected to that. God always gives us promises. He gives us a hope for the future. In fact, in these passages, you find over and over again, he uses the word overcomer. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints already says it's emphasized repeatedly in the book of Revelation. And the promises given to those who persevere, to those who are overcomers, is important for us to know. And here's the first promise in verse number 7 of chapter 2. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In other words, Christ promises that all believers will have part in the heavenly paradise. The paradise that was lost in the fall is now regained 
for a believer in the heavenly paradise where it could never go bad again. It's going to be the promise of believers. A second thing in verse number 11 of chapter 2 is all believers will escape the second death, which is really the eternal destruction of the soul in hell forever. Instead, they will have part in the heavenly life. So Christ promises that every believer, the second death, will have no effect upon them, even if they undergo the first death, which is the physical death, they will never experience the second death, which is spiritual. Look what it says in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So here's that's the promise that the Lord gives to a believer. You may die you, we pro, we're all going to die physically unless the Lord comes. And then that generation, when he comes, that's the only generation that I know of in Scripture that they're going get, to get caught up and never experience physical death, right? But for the most part, you're going to die physically. But you don't have to die spiritually. You don't have to die eternally. And the, the, the worst part of death is you're separated from God. Well, good and merciful and kind and gracious God. See, that's the horror of death. Being left to yourself with all the goodness and the mercy and the grace, the common grace God's given to this world, that's not going to be there in the lake of fire. And you think this world's bad with all those common things given to us by God where we see the sunrise every day. We, we have the rain that comes to provide food so we can eat and we enjoy life for, to, to a great extent. In this country and in other places in the world, they do. That's God's provision to us. But he promised us, listen, even if you die physically, the second death has no hold on you because you're mine. I've given you eternal life, and eternal life is going to be experienced not only now but in its fullness when we pass from here into the presence of God. A third thing in Scripture, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, all believers will receive from Christ the new name. They will receive a heavenly name that identifies believers with their Lord Jesus Christ as adopted children of God. Christ promises that every believer, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, they will receive along with their new name, spiritual sustenance and spiritual strength forever. And in fact, the passage of Scripture uh, does say this. It says in verse 17 of chapter 2, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which is which one, which no one knows but he who receives it. If you notice right there, it says that they will be given a white stone. There was an ancient custom in a legal courtroom setting if after a trial was over, if someone received the black stone, it meant condemnation. But if someone received the white stone, it meant acquittal. That the white stone with its new name written on it is uh, on it 
is really the absolution from all guilt of sin. Nothing can come up against us and condemn us anymore because of what Christ has done. We're acquitted completely. Go, you're free. A fourth thing, a believer will rule with Christ over the nations. They will receive a heavenly rule. Those who believe upon Christ will be given authority to rule with him throughout all eternity. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 to 28. Again, verse 26, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father and I will give him the morning star. And, of course, the star is always a symbol of royalty, meaning that believers will share in Christ's royal splendor and dominion with him forever. Actually, Revelation, again, 20, verse 6, tells us that we will reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. While he rules this earth with a rod of iron, he's, still, he's going to rule with authority because there's going to be still be sin in the world when he comes back in the millennium. And so he's going to rule with authority, with the rod of iron, and we're going to rule with him. That's a promise to those who what? Overcome. To those who persevere. To those who are truly Christ's sheep. And then, of course, I mentioned last time that all believers will enjoy a place in God's holy presence for all eternity and they will have a heavenly, they will be heavenly pillars that Christ promises that every believer, the one who conquers, they, have, they will have permanent residence in the dwelling place of God. Revelation 3, verse 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and, will, and he will not go out from it anymore. That, a, of course, a pillar in the spiritual temple of God, pillars are, are a strong symbol of strength and stability and security and they have a prominent place within the temple of the uh, New Jerusalem. So all believers will enjoy a place in God's holy presence forever in which all the saints on earth one day will be eternally secure with God in heaven. And then one last one, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. This is an incredible one, that all believers will be seated with Christ in heaven for all eternity. They will sit with Christ on his heavenly throne. That Christ promises that every believer, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, the one who perseveres, that they will be seated on the same throne that Jesus shares with his Father. Look at it, verse 21 of chapter 3 of Revelation. It says, he who overcomes... I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's amazing. And if this wasn't recorded in Scripture, we would never know the wonderful promises and blessings that await all believers in the yet future and a glorious future. And see, these are the promises. In fact, these are the things underneath us that keep us going. The promises before us. Because Titus chapter 1, verse 1, God cannot lie. 
We learned that in the Old Testament. God keeps his promises right to the end. So the glorious truth for those who are saved and Christ's possession is this. God keeps all his saints secure forever and ever and ever. That is the exciting thing about the perseverance of the saints. Matter of fact, these abiding doctrines are the very things that I often go back to when I feel like I'm wavering, when I feel like I don't think I can go another step, another block. I don't know if I can breathe another breath. I'm reminded back to the doctrines of grace and what God has done for me, knowing that it's not about me, it's about him. And I know I'm in him because I've borne fruit year after year after year, and I pray God keeps me. I don't want to fall away. I don't want to fall back. I don't want to give up. I want to keep going. Whatever the Lord has, just keep going. And he's faithful. Of course, remember, keeping going means those distinctives are always there. I listen. I follow. I obey. I love the Lord. Amen? No one should change that in your life. No one can, should convince you otherwise. And believe me, those are the very things that are the encouragement God gives us in the Word of God to just know that we are in his hand and no one can touch us. Satan can't even touch us. Nobody can. And all I can say is amen. Could you say amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again. I just pray, Lord, this morning that if there is someone that has not come to know you today, that they would come and not put it aside anymore. I pray also, Lord, if there's someone who is professed, thinking they are a believer when in reality they are not because they have no evidence, no proof, I pray, Lord, today would be the day they come and believe in you. So, Lord, let us lay aside our pride or anything that's becoming an obstacle in our life. And I pray, Lord, we'd submit to you, give ourselves to you, and that, Lord, thank you for the many blessings that you proclaim to us in the Word of God. We know they are for our benefit, for our encouragement, for our rebuke, also for our stability, that, Lord, we would continue Continue to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ every single day of our life until, Lord, you decide to take us, and that's your decision, when and how and where. And uh, we know, Lord, whatever happens physically, we're going to be in your presence because the second death cannot touch us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being faithful to the Father's plan of salvation. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for drawing and uh, convicting of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and bringing us to hear the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the one who brought it to us. Let us be faithful to bring it to others. And thank you, Holy Spirit, you brought us to understand the gospel, gave us the gift of faith and repentance, and we trusted in Christ, and we have been growing in him. We don't want to stop growing, Lord. We want to continue to grow, continue to bear fruit, continue to give you glory, to continue to be used by you. And and we thank you, Lord. So we lay everything at your feet today. And we praise your name for all the good things you've done for us. In Christ, I ask and pray this. Amen.